0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. As Mindy said, this morning we, uh, we're starting a new series on Sabbath. We've been working our way through the five core practices or key practices of the Christian faith. We started with talking about reading Scripture in the fall, and we talked about prayer. Uh, we just talked about generosity, and we finished that last week. Now we're talking Sabbath- Uh, And then in uh, seven or eight weeks, uh, we will talk about gathering and the importance of gathering as God's people. And so um, today is our first day in Sabbath. Now, I need your prayers this morning, right? And and maybe your grace, I don't know. This was one of those mornings I woke up and I went to revisit my outline and the entire thing changed this morning. So um, we'll see how it goes. You have in your uh, order of service a little sheet with references. There were so many, I don't normally do topical sermons, but it just so happened that this morning the outline changed to be more topical. Um, And so there were so many scripture references, I figured you should have them instead of just trying to follow along with me, um, because you all know I talk fast. So um, they are there for you. Um, Also, this is kind of a big topic. And so um, Terry's going to come and read the scripture this morning from Exodus chapter 31, and then we'll jump in.
1: Good morning. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbath, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations so that you will know that I am the Lord who consecrates you. Observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes it must be put to death. If anyone does work on it, that person must be cut off from his people. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day there must be a Sabbath of complete rest. Holy to the Lord, anyone who does work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it throughout their generations as a permanent covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the Israelites, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be
0: to God. All right. Well, that was a great edifying place to start, right? Yeah. You guys are like, Brandon, don't you choose the text? You weren't handed this. Um, yeah, I chose that one. Uh, and twice we're told that Sabbath breakers should be put to death. Uh, so there it is. Let's go home. Keep the Sabbath. That's it. Like, there's nothing more to work, right? Uh, Obviously, there's more going on here, and so uh, we're going to start in a weird place, though. We're going to start back in Genesis, but not the way you would think. Uh, you would think we'd go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, where God rests on the seventh day after creation and then establishes that for his people. But we have to establish what Genesis 1 and 2 are doing before we even get to that point. The Bible opens up with the story of creation, the story of God making everything. Now, there are a bunch of different ways that you can read this and a bunch of different ways that people have read and understood this throughout the millennia of the church. But I want to present to you maybe a different way of thinking about the creation narrative. Maybe it'll be new to you. It was certainly new to me when I first came across it. It's that what's happening in the first two chapters of Genesis is not a literalistic seven-day creation. It's God creating a cosmic temple for himself. What we read in Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation account is God making a temple that he will then inhabit. We see all through the creation story in the first chapter of Genesis... The same kind of language that we see come up later with the creation of the tab, with the building of the tabernacle, and the building of the temple in Jerusalem, and at the end of the book of the Bible in Revelation. We see the same kind of language come up over and over and over again. What God is doing at the beginning of the Bible is creating a temple for Himself to dwell in and creating priests to tend to the temple and to spread its influence. The creation of Creation, and the creation of humanity, is a divine temple-building narrative with priests in the temple as the crowning creation. Adam and Eve are created primarily, first of all, to be priests of God. That's part of, and maybe even the most important part, of what it means to be created in the image of God. To be created to reflect God, to be created to work with God and on God's behalf, and to be a mediator between God and creation. That's what it means when we read at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2 that there was no one to work the land yet. There was no one to be God's representative to work the land, to spread the influence of the temple of Eden out to the chaotic creation. And so God, in the beginning of the Bible, creates a temple for himself, and then at the end of the sixth day, after the temple is complete, on the seventh day, God moves in, and God dwells in his temple with his priests you see in the Genesis narrative, God walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, his first priests, cementing their relationship so that they can go out and tend to the earth he's made for them. Now maybe this is a shift in thinking. Maybe it's a new way of seeing it. It doesn't negate whatever other way you've learned to read Genesis or the, whatever other way you've, you've seen. I think this understanding expands the goodness of our God, and expands what it means for you and me to be made in God's image. It's not just that we're made to reflect God, or that we're made to work on God's behalf like the pagan religions taught, or that we're made just to toil and to serve God all our days and to never gain anything good like the pagans would teach. It means that we are meant to be priests of God, mediators of God's presence to the world, to the chaotic world, And that mission has never once changed. We see the Bible open with a temple narrative. And then later in Exodus chapters 25 to 31, we see God prescribing how the people are to build the tabernacle of God. You see, the children of Israel have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God sends Moses to raise up, to lead the people out of slavery. And then when they get to the wilderness as they're traveling to the promised land, God says, now I want you to build me a house, a movable house, the tabernacle. And this is the next temple narrative. This is the next temple creation where God says, I want you to build me a house where I will live, where you will meet with me and my presence will travel with you as you go and you will be my priests to the nations as you move that says that in Exodus chapter 16 you will be a nation of priests carrying God's presence with you and we see the people walk with God through the wilderness until they get to the promised land and then we see the first temple built at Shiloh and then we finally get to the temple temple the real temple built in Jerusalem under King Solomon and in seven days, the temple is takes seven it takes a cycle of seven to finish it. It doesn't built in seven days. It's way too big to be built in seven days, right? But in a cycle of seven, the temple in Jerusalem is built, and we see God dwelling there among his people, and we see the people who are called to be priests to the nations on behalf of God. We see God live and dwell in the temple, and then the people of God are called and commissioned to be his priests. To the rest of the nation, just as he called them back in Exodus 16 and 19 and Exodus 20 and Exodus 31 and Exodus 35. Over and over and over again, the people are called to be priests of God to the nations. And then later we see that temple that Solomon built destroyed in 586 BC. And we see the people go into exile in Babylon The people of God from Judah are taken away by Babylon into exile. The temple's destroyed. There's no more home for God in the land. Only 70 years later, the people get to go back to their homeland. And under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, we get to see the temple rebuilt, reconstituted. And so God's presence once again can dwell among his people. Only something funny happens. You see, back in the... Days when the tabernacle was built, the presence of God came and dwelled in the tabernacle. It was a visible sign that God came and dwelled in. Only Moses was allowed to go in the holy places in tabernacle and meet with God's presence. And then when we see the temple of Solomon built at the prayer of consecration, when Solomon prays over the temple, we see the presence of God descend and enter into the temple. Only when it's rebuilt after the exile, that never happens We don't see the presence of God descend into the temple again. We don't see that same event happen that happened with the creation on the seventh day and with the tabernacle and with the first temple. And years later, years after the temple is rebuilt, a new king over Judea has come, King Herod, and he's going to build the most glorious temple that's ever been seen. And so he convinces the Roman Empire that he needs to build the Jewish temple. And he gets the resources, he gets the money, he gets the, all that he needs to build this temple. And he builds one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple in Jerusalem in the first century AD. And it's glorious and it's beautiful, but the presence of God has never fallen there either. And it's in this place that we see Jesus born. It's at this time that we see the presence of God not come and descend on a temple made with human hands, not come and descend into a building made with stones, but into a manger in Bethlehem. And Jesus grows, and he lives, and he begins to teach something really strange. He begins to teach that he is the presence of God on earth. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus get into some conflict with some religious leaders around the temple. And he says, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. And we're told, just in case you missed it, that he was talking about himself, his own body. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the presence of God on earth. And Jesus has called followers of his to be priests to the nation to be the mediators of his presence, to share the gospel, the good news that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ and to bring the presence of God as they are filled with the Holy Spirit to every place that they step. And so we see in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has risen and ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit of God descend on the people of God like the Spirit of God descended in Day seven of creation and to the tabernacle and to Solomon's temple. We see the same presence of God that filled the temple now descend to fill the followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And now the people of God are the temple of God in the world. The people of God are the bearers of God's presence, which makes them, according to 1 Peter, priests of God. Serving under the high priest Jesus, you and I, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, are now priests of God. Now, if you've been in evangelical or Protestant spaces very long, especially in the United States, especially in a more individualistic culture, the priesthood of all believers is one of our core doctrines, but it gets so watered down to mean simply that you and I have direct access to God, and that's it. Now, that is true. It is true that you and I have direct access through Jesus to God. It is absolutely true that every single one of us has the Holy Spirit living within us if we are followers of Jesus and we have direct, unmediated access to God. We don't need a priest to go through. But we've missed the second, and what I might argue is one of the more important aspects of the priesthood of all believers. And that is that you and I are mediators of the presence of God to a broken world. The fact that we are priests means that we carry the presence of God with us everywhere we go. And we are entrusted with the good news of Jesus to go into the dark places of the world and bring the presence of God. It's not that we need one another to to be mediators to God for us. It's that we get to be mediators of God to a broken world who doesn't know him. And as Christians, we got to reclaim that aspect of our priesthood. This is not simply some individualistic thing we've been called to where I get access to God and I get to enjoy it for me with no impact on anybody else. The fact that we are called priests of God means that we bear the presence of God and the word of God to a world in need of God. And so Jesus has come, and He is our temple. He is our peace. He is the one who binds us together and calls us priests. And then we see in the book of Revelation, at the final consummation of all things, we see Jesus return, and we see His kingdom finally come. We see a new Jerusalem descend and remake the world not burn it up not destroy it but redeem it once and for all and we read in revelation 22 that there was no 21 that there was no temple in the new jerusalem because the very presence of god and the lamb are the temple when we no longer need any priests or mediators. We don't have to be priests for a broken world. We don't need a priest to give us access to God. God and Jesus dwell in our midst and are accessible to all of his people for all of eternity there at the end of all things. The entire scripture is the story of God making his dwelling with people and his people being priests to the nations. The entire narrative of Scripture is about God making his temple, making his home among his people, and his people acting as priests to the world. That's who we are. We are priests of God if we are followers of of Jesus, We bear the spirit of God within us and we mediate the presence of God to a world that does not know him. That is the call of the church. That's what we're called to. That's why you have these references here. Go look it up. Read it up. Reclaim your status as a priest of God. And know that it's not just about your relationship with God, but that you are a mediator of the presence of God to everyone you meet. And it means that when we fail and when we fall and when we struggle, we can be the presence of God to one another. I can bring the presence of Jesus into your brokenness and you can bring it into mine. We can shine the light of the gospel into one another's hearts. We can shine the light of the gospel into the places where we hurt and where we struggle and where we most need it. And we can shine the light of the gospel into a heart that already is shining and beautiful and only amplify the glory of God. As we fellowship together as priests of our God. And it is because we are priests of God that God calls us not to work. And so we finally come to the command of Sabbath. In the law of the Old Testament, for the people of God, there were two everlasting statutes. That language is only ever used in the law of God of two commands. One for circumcision that would mark the people out, that would be a sign of the covenant of God to his people that would mark them out as belonging to Yahweh. Anybody guess what the second one is? We're talking about it. Sabbath. Sabbath is the only other command of God, statute of God, that is referred to as a sign of the covenant and an everlasting statute for God's people. You must rest. And we read, as in this Passage right here in Genesis chapter 31 that God takes this command extremely seriously. Going so far as to prescribe the death penalty for people who break it. Now what in the world is that about? The Sabbath is a grace given to us. It is a mercy given by our God. You see in the time and place... When Moses is talking to the people and Genesis is being written during the time of the Exodus, as the people of God, the children of Israel, are wandering in the wilderness and they're learning their history and they're learning about their God, in that time and place, among the nations that the Israelites were a part of, that they were, that they were among, among the pagan cultures, there was nothing like the Sabbath. There were prescribed days where you weren't supposed to work, but it was usually so that you could serve your deity in some way. And so it didn't, it wasn't a time of rest. It wasn't a time of peace. And these people who Moses is talking to, they've spent 400 years in slavery where they are worked to the bone. When they don't have mud to make bricks, the Egyptians just say, find a way, make it happen. When they don't have the material to do the work that's demanded of them, the Egyptian overlords are just like, whatever, you've got you to get the work done. There's no sympathy. There's no care. And so they've experienced 400 years of backbreaking toil with no rest at all. And then God frees them, calls them out, and says, Hey, listen here, people. It's so important that you rest that I'm going to make it an everlasting command for you. It is so important that you stop your labor, you stop your toil, and you rest in me that I'm going to make it an everlasting command. And just to show you how important it is, I'm going to assign the death penalty for anybody who breaks it. It's a sign of how central this command is to God, that the penalty is so severe. Now, what you got to know is that This penalty, as far as we know, was only ever taken one time. It was only ever done one time. In Numbers chapter 15, you can read about a guy who's gone out on the Sabbath to collect lumber. And the people, the leaders, catch this guy and they bring him to Moses and they say, we don't know what to do with him, he was breaking the Sabbath. And Moses is like, geez, I don't really know what to do either. And then the voice of God speaks and says, he must be executed. That's my law. After that, we never see it happen again. And I think that's because the spirit of this law is not because God is is a taskmaster. That's exactly the opposite of the Sabbath command. It's to show the way that God values rest. And here's one more important aspect of the Sabbath command. Not only can you not work, you can't make anybody else work either. This is a law against oppression. This is a law against forcing your workers to toil. You can't even make a household slave do work on the Sabbath. That's breaking the Sabbath. As an employer, you can't force anybody to work on the Sabbath. This is God saying, not only is rest incredibly important for you, you're not going to press anybody else into unending toil either. No one is exempt from the Sabbath command Because it is given for our good. And it is given for the good of all people. And it is because we are priests of God that he gives us this command. It's because we are to reflect God and to reflect God's character that we are given this command. God rested and on the seventh day indwelt his temple that he had made. And he laid down his labor. And God said, therefore, you do the same thing as a testimony to who I am. This was as much a testimony to the pagan world around them as anything else. That the whole people of God, the entire nation, must stop their labor for one day a week. And those merchants who are coming from foreign nations, they can't sell their stuff. They can't do any work in the nation of Israel. It says even the foreigner is supposed to rest on the Sabbath as a witness to the goodness of God. It's because we are priests that we are given the command to rest as God has rest. And it's because we're finite humans that God has given us the command to rest. And it is because our God is a good father and provider that we are given the command to rest. The Sabbath is a declaration that I do not have control over everything. Man, it is so easy for us to assume that we have control over everything in our lives. It is so easy for us to grasp and grasp and grasp for control and to think, if I don't do that right now, it won't get done. And the Sabbath is a direct contrast to that. The The Sabbath is a direct confrontation to that whole mentality. It's to say, if I don't do it today, it'll get done. It's to say my value is not in what I produce. My value is not in being a slave to consumerism. My value is not in being a slave to my work and to my toil. My value is not in what I make and what I do. My value is declared by my good and providing Father who gives me all things, who takes care of me so that I know if I lay my Burdens down, He will take them up. If I step back from my work, he will make sure that what it needs to be done is done. The Sabbath is a declaration of the goodness of our God, and it's a witness to a world that can't stop working, that all of your ambition and all of your toil will get you nowhere. It will not serve you in the end. Only a relationship with our good Father will save you in the end. Nothing you do with the work of your hands can bring you salvation. Nothing you do with the work of your hands can earn you heaven or eternal life. That is available only through God. And only through Jesus Christ. And when we Sabbath we say, I don't have to work. I don't have to try and earn God's favor. I don't have to try and make sure everything is done because it's in the hands of my good God. That is the declaration of Sabbath, of the Sabbath rest, and that's why it is so important to God because the Sabbath is about declaring who God is, To a world that just can't stop working. That just can't stop striving and toiling. And the Sabbath is freedom for the slave. It's freedom for the wage worker. It's freedom for the person who feels like they have to toil and toil and toil. It is our good God wanting our rest and delight more than our ritual. You see, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets of God, the people who speak on behalf of God, are all the time telling the leadership of Israel, you're breaking the Sabbath. That's one of the main reasons God judges his own people, is because they refuse to practice the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, they oppress their workers. On the Sabbath, they're continuing to do work. And what really irritates God about all of this is that they're doing all the other ritual stuff they're making the sacrifices and they're doing the prayers and they're singing the psalms and they're doing all the other ritual stuff. But when it comes to Sabbath, they throw it out the window. They ignore it because they have to be productive, because they have to get things done. And so many times the prophets of God say, I wish, especially Isaiah, I wish you would just observe the Sabbath. All of your sacrifices don't mean anything if you oppress your workers on the Sabbath. All of your ritual means nothing if you're not observing the rest that I've called you to. I mean, how gracious is that? How good is it of our God to say, I will lay aside my own law if only you will take the time to rest in me. I will lay aside the other commands that I have made on you if only you will take the time to rest in my presence. God cares how we live. He cares what we do. He cares about the state of our ethics and our morality. He cares how we live our life. But most importantly, He cares that we will rest in Him. Most importantly, God cares about the relationship that He has with. Us. And God knows that all of that character development stuff, all the things that need to be fixed within us, will not happen because we focus on them. They will happen because we focus on Him. Our character gets developed by our relationship with Jesus, not by our striving to be perfect. God knows this. And He delights in the rest of His children, He delights in the relationship of his children. Christian, stop striving by legalism to do all the perfect things and be perfect before God and just pursue Jesus. And he will make you good and holy. He will see to the development of your character. Stop trying to fill the checklists while ignoring resting in your God. Come to him. Lay down your burden and toil. Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because Jesus said, I have come and I have taught you so that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus said, I came and I taught you and you followed me so that your joy may be complete. God wants you, not the work of your hands. There's a present and prevalent lie in the evangelical world that you were created for God to use you. If anyone has ever heard, God just wants to use you, you have been sold a lie. You were created not to be used by God. You were created to be loved by God. You were not created as some instrument in God's hand. You were created as the delight of his eyes so that he could behold his child and love you well. Now when we are well loved by God and when we love God, we will do what God wants. When we are loved by God and we love him in return, we will find by nature that we do God's will on earth. We will be doers of the will of God, but we will not be doers of the will of God if we focus on doing God's will. We will be doers of the will of God when we focus on knowing our God and being centered on and rooted in him. We've gotten it backwards if we focus first on obedience. We've gotten it backwards if we focus first on doing for God or being an instrument in God's hand. We get it backwards when we focus on tasks instead of relationship with Jesus. It's only when we start with relationship with the God who has called us to rest in Him that we begin to grow into the likeness of Jesus and do as He's called us to do. That's what Sabbath is about. Sabbath is about knowing that God created me to love me, that God created me to love Him and be loved by Him, that God created me to be whole in Him, and that as I am whole in Him, I will be His priest. I will carry his presence. I will carry his gospel. And I will be a mediator of God's presence to a world that is in desperate need of him, but doesn't need another rule. Doesn't need another task to perform. They need to know that they were created to love and be loved by a father who only wants to delight in them and call them to rest in him. We were created for the freedom of Sabbath. To follow Jesus and rest in him. In Jesus, your priest invited into God's rest. And by resting, we glorify God and declare to an overworked, tired world that our God wants to delight in you and give you the freedom to be loved and to love him. God, thank you for this gift of Sabbath. Thank you that you have made us priests, bearers of your presence to a world that desperately needs Jesus and more than anything needs to know Sabbath rest, not self centered me time, not the cult of self care that turns selfishness into a virtue. But God, a true and deep self-care that roots itself in our position before our loving God through the work of Jesus Christ. That roots us deeply in who we are in relation to the God who made us and who loves us. And that identifies us as his priest, privileges us as priests of God in the world, bearing your presence. And Lord, I pray that this church, this family would be a haven of rest for the weary, a place of healing; for the broken, a place of shalom in the midst of chaos. And that you would root us deeply in Jesus and who you are and who you have called us, so that Lord we can be. Thanks more for tuning into the like podcast you. this week. In our for more life, information in on in Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org. And we would focus on relationship with you above any task that we may have in front of us. Jesus, make us more like you in every way. Holy Spirit, make us more like Jesus as we follow you and pursue relationship in our Sabbath rest. In the name of Jesus, amen.